This is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. I'm publishing this a bit early because I have to go to Emerald City next week and Wendy Peeney has stuff she has to do and she wants to hear the podcast so that she can do possibly a little bit of spooky art for this. So this is going to be early. And yeah, I know you're all waiting for Wendy's story. It's in this episode. It is so creepy, but we have some local people that have agreed to tell their local ghost stories. So just think of it as a little appetizer. Now it's time for guests and their ghosts. I'd like everybody to welcome our first guest. A few weeks ago, I told a ghost story about a horse in a pasture that might be a ghost. And now the woman who told me the story, she's local, she's here in Clallam Bay, would like to remain anonymous, but now she's going to retell this story in her own words. Yes, I was a little girl. I loved horses, anything to do with horses. And on the way to Port Angeles at the 112 turnoff, there was a field with a horse. I'd seen it several weeks until after a few weeks I hadn't seen it. I asked my mom what happened to the horse. Did they move him? And she told me that he had died several months ago in a barn fire. And But I remember seeing him. And you just saw him a few weeks and ago. And I had seen him a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, and she said he died a few months ago. Yes. And I was told that he had died several months ago, so I didn't see him. But I remember seeing him several weeks ago. So you saw him clearly, and he's just out there grazing, even though, according to the timeline, he wasn't he there. He wasn't there. Thank you so much for that story, and thank you for inspiring some other authors mm -hmm. to send in more goodies. Thank you. We got to talking some more, and she has agreed to be my ghost correspondent and she started to tell me some little snippets about stories around here about ghosts and so she's going to be going out there looking for more ghost tales and bringing them back. I mentioned this to another local woman who also wants to remain anonymous and she said she had been working at the Breakwater restaurant and she knew that the owner of the restaurant had to finally put an old cat to sleep. And then, in a couple of weeks, she saw the cat again, and then she saw it again. And this two-week increment between a cat dying and then people seeing it again, we think maybe the cat has to check in and then come back and tell everybody they're okay. So that's two ghost stories we've got, and we're going to have more. Now we have a very special guest tale. It's from Wendy Peeney, who is, of course, the artist for ElfQuest. And she sent me a PDF with her ghost story, The Closet. I said that she could send me a voice file. I would certainly be happy to include it. And she said, no, 
She had evidently been listening to my podcast, and she said she wanted me to read it and to make it as creepy as I possibly could. So, here is Wendy Peeney's The Closet. I don't like to touch or be touched. I've been like this since I was very young. It's hands. Hands repel me, even my own. If I could be rid of them, live without them, I would. The most terrifying thing about the human body. I have no brothers or sisters. As a child, I slept alone in my small room on a narrow bed handed down to me by my grandmother. The old mattress was stuffed with horse hair. I never liked the smell of it or how it sounded when I turned over. Lights out meant lights out. Things were arranged so I couldn't reach the switch. I had to spend the whole night in the dark with only faint moonlight filtering through the drawn canvas window shade. When there was a moon, once tucked in, I was afraid to get up for any reason. One strangely quiet night, a night when I just couldn't force myself to sleep, I kept looking around the room, staring into the dark. Barely visible, the shadowy outlines of furniture, bedposts, and rug took on menacing, unfriendly forms. That's when I noticed my closet door standing partway open. It wasn't supposed to be. I always shut it, <laughs> most carefully, just before turning in. Every child knows the narrow place that in daylight holds one's few belongings and perhaps provides a place to huddle and hide among them, transforms into a fathomless cave of unknown horrors at night. Things live in children's closets at night, things that in the daytime can't be seen. And if, in the dark, the door is left ajar, clutching the sheets to me, I kept staring and staring through the darkness at that slightly open door, at the space just six inches wide, pulling my gaze into its black and endless depths, something pale moved in that tall column of shadow. Was it perhaps the sleeve of one of my blouses stirred by a draft? I blinked and squinted, trying to focus. The pale thing moved again. About four feet up from the floor, it uncurled, extended, reached out, and began to feel around. Then it curled back on itself and clutched the door frame. For a moment, it was very still, and in that awful moment, I knew it had become aware of me. Its long, worm-white indexed finger twitched, lifted, and pointed directly at me, wagging a little. Slowly, tarantula-like, it crept down the doorframe to the floor and began to crawl toward my bed. Its long hooked nails caught in the coarse weave of the old rug, making a horrible scraping sound. Even when the foot of my bed blocked it from view, I could hear it coming, and still I could not rise, could not even scream for help. I pulled the blankets up over my head, shivering, listening. There was a faint scuttle of claws on the polished wood of the bedpost, my throat constricted as ice water shot through my entire body. It was trying to crawl up onto the bed. After a few terrible moments, there was a squealing, skidding sound and a thud. The thing 
had failed to make the climb more muted thumps then and scrabblings i imagined it like a crab flipped on its back on the floor squirming and straining to right itself with those writhing fingers clutching at the air in a frenzy of rage and frustration find the bedpost again down by my feet on the edge of the quilt which brushed the floor i felt a tug cloth is so much easier to grab onto than polished wood oh god this time it was going to make its way up all the way up crawling under the covers to reach my legs i could feel those withered fingers inching along my trembling body reaching for me beneath the blankets pawing and grasping cruelly penetrating up and up further those long jagged nails sharp as flint arrowheads would dig into my face gouge my eyes force their bloody way past my clenched teeth violate my mouth and rip out my tongue no one can ever tell me i merely fell asleep not then not possibly i must have fainted because for a time all was black and i knew nothing in the twilight before dawn i gradually woke lying on my stomach my blankets thrown off nightgown rumpled pillows crushed my right arm dangling over the edge of the bed as i came fully awake i felt it cold clammy grasping squeezing tight as a vice the thing had hold of my right hand i shrieked and shrieked like some creature caught deep in the woods being devoured alive my parents rushed in pa pulled off his belt and thrashed me for soaking the bed it didn't do any good for nights afterward i drenched my sheets till they sent me away to live with a sympathetic aunt who allowed me to keep a light on all night in my room there was thank god no closet just a tall dresser with drawers since then i've worn gloves all the time especially to sleep when i can sleep i don't like to be touched i don't like to touch i've been like this since i was very young Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I know I did reading Wendy's scary little ghost story that I'm beginning to think of is nonfiction. And I'll admit something, had a little bit of stage fright, which made me gasp, which made it sound even scarier. And there's a few little glitches and mistakes in here, but the only people who know that are Wendy and I. And I hope she thought I creeped this up well enough because I had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you, Wendy. And thank you for letting me share the closet. Oh, and I just got a message from Wendy who says that she absolutely loved this and she was going to have so much fun sharing it, which is why I released it early since she's going to be flipping the link around to other people, I figure I'll just give it to everybody else early, too. Enjoy. My most recent patron, David Lasky, a wonderful comics author and teacher, reminded me that I needed to let stories go on longer and not just cut them off because I was scared that they would get edited wrong. So let me add something here about the horse in the field. Evidently, that was a gray horse, and the woman who remembered seeing that horse long after it was dead when she was a little girl reminded me that her mother told her, oh, that horse is dead. So 
from now on, when I've got somebody talking into my little smartphone, no matter which one I got, I will just let them ramble on and worry about editing later. Because, Dave, you're right. Besides, I started out these podcasts at about three and a half minutes, and now I'm up to over 20 minutes, and more copy to add to these things is always better. And I just recalled another story the woman told me, and I'm going to tell you that right now, because Clalambe missed out. I think a lot of people now are discovering that especially with the way we share things, you better not have anything bad in your past because it's going to come out. The other thing is, I used to be the stringer up here for the Forks Forum, which is a little local newspaper. I even remember a movie once in which there was a sequence that must have been written by Ben Hecht because he had a Jake Legg journalist and his assistant photographer going around trying to find a story about a vampire. And the photographer suggested that he do something that was not right. And the newspaperman said, if I did that, I couldn't get a job on a country weekly. Now, the Forks Forum, nice as it is, is a little country weekly. So we stopped watching that film, Dan and I, and laughed our butts off and then kept going later on. But we had to just stop it there. It was too funny. Now, Everybody up here still thinks I'm the journalist. I will help them get in contact with the newspaper. All you got to do is email cbaron at forksforum.com and send them pictures and send them words, and she'll fix it all up and stick it up in there, and then you can stop complaining about not giving any coverage when it's that easy. The reason I'm not a journalist anymore is they ran out of money and they can't pay me anymore, and I'm too busy making podcasts right now. But here's a story that is about something that was done in the past and probably somebody thought he, nobody would ever think about it or talk about it. But there's no way you can bully people into silence anymore. Evidently, someone, and we're not going to say who, was working on a road up by a cliff and they found some big bones. Now, those big bones are very, very, very probably not dinosaur because that's in millions of years. And by the time millions of years go by in this end of the Pacific Northwest, the um, plates, tectonic plates, have ground everything to pieces. So possibly what they were probably looking at was a mammoth. Now, Squim, which is a little town on the peninsula, has a mammoth in a nice little museum along with the very first car on the Olympic Peninsula that looks like in shape, it's in the same good shape to drive. But they've got a mammoth. This guy, however, they, who was the head of the crew, said, oh, if we tell anybody about this mammoth, they'll stop the whole project. We won't be able to finish this road. So they took mammoth bones, possibly mammoth bones. Anyway, they were big. They might have been a whale like Pishthead. And they shoved them off the cliff. This could have been in a museum. It could have added to tourism up here. But, you know, there's pregnancy thinking and there's ejaculation thinking. Pregnancy thinking thinks about the future. Ejaculation thinking sounds like the mayor in the movie Jaws. So, I don't know who the guy is, but this guy tipped the West End's mammoth or whale or whatever it was off a cliff so he could get his little road done. And you all know that's all they do up here is work on roads. They are never done. They are never perfect. And he dumped your mammoth because of that. Oopsie. And the reason I'm including this in a ghost story is someplace up in those hills 
on a road. There's a mammoth going, what the fuck is wrong with you? I could have had my own nice little museum. Instead, I got dumped off the road. Ain't no respect in that, buddy. So if it looks like this place could be in trouble, you might have the curse of a mammoth on you. And I wouldn't blame it. You're going to hear the water in front of me. I'm sitting here at Slip Point at the Clavelin Bay Beach. And I figured I'd watch, do a little podcasting while I'm watching the sun go down. And we got folks down here having a little fire and the kids are playing and everybody's generally having a good time. But this reminds me of when we first got up here, there were just no guardrails anywhere. Uh, not on that terrible road up to the Bay. Uh, I don't think they were even around the lake and they certainly were not on Highway 112. And at one point early on our getting up here, we found a man on the beach at about 7 in the morning. We were walking early, and he had a big old glass of whiskey. And we thought that was just a little bit early to be doing that, except the poor man was weeping, and he was afraid that a friend might have walked into the water, because that is how people leave up here, because uh, four boys driving back from the prom uh, after drinking had gone into the river and drowned. And... Uh, just the little peccadillo of drunk driving after a prom, which a lot of people do. Uh, there's always some people who don't get to survive that. And there was a big celebration downtown, and I was told in no uncertain times that I would show up to make up the numbers. And everybody was there, including kind of a battle of the religious bands between the uh, native spiritualists of several kinds and the uh, local Christian churches and the natives believe that when strong young men die then eagles or mountain lions show up and all through the ceremony down at the school in the gymnasium uh, four eagles were circling over the town. And I better stop here and say that I have a correction. Uh, of course, that was not a celebration unless it was a celebration of mourning and memory with music and film of those four boys. And um, like I said, the spirits came to give them a send-off. Since I mentioned Emerald City, when I am at Emerald City this year, 2022, I will be going around with my little iPhone, and I hope you have ghost stories for me. You know, Halloween is coming up, and a few years ago, the Irish Tri Channel introduced what they were calling disgusting cocktails, and one of them was something called the Witch's Margarita. It's tequila in a glass of red wine. And I know it sounds awful, but it's delicious, and you can drink them all night and it won't hurt you. Now, we all know that if you start with tequila and you end up with red wine, or you start with red wine and you end up with tequila, you're going to get sick. But if you put them together and drink them, they're fine. Which finally explains the song. Put the lime in the coconut and drink them all together. Put the lime in the coconut, then you'll feel better. You just got to put them together and drink them. You don't want to drink them separately because that will make you sick. Happy Halloween!
I know it's August, but we get started early. A spooky 